that passage um, from James um, that Brooke just read for us. James seems to be addressing some pretty blatant favoritism going on in the early church. People are being treated and judged differently depending on how they are dressed. And it seems to be a situation where different people are given different values based on wealth and perhaps maybe even the power that they have in the church. And rather than just uh, scold them, James grounds his remarks in the scriptures and, uh, and at one place what he calls the royal law or, or what we might call a version of the golden rule that comes from Leviticus 19.18, which is love your neighbors yourself. It becomes part of the great commandment that Jesus gives that both Matthew and Mark give to us too, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. James is making a point about, all, about the equal value of all people especially in the church, and how deeply rooted that is in Scripture and even in the very nature of God, the equal value of all people. Now, the word isn't used here, but James really is talking about justice. Not social justice, not good works that uh, would save us or anything like that. He's talking about right relationships. He's talking about justice as right relationships, relationship with God and then the relationship with others. Love God, love neighbor. Get right with God and get right with one another, that basically is what I want to call biblical justice. And that's what I want to look at more closely this morning. Answering the question, or at least trying to, what is biblical justice? Some of the reading and listening that I've done lately have told me a lot of things that biblical justice at its core is not. Biblical justice is not an outreach strategy. It's not just a missional program. Biblical justice is not something peripheral to our faith as an add-on. It's not just for those who are called to that sort of thing. You know what I mean by that, right? Some people are, that's their thing. And it's not the same as social justice, and it's not political. Now, justice, biblical justice may find its way into expression in some of those places, uh, some of those knots as God leaves, leads. Uh, their gifts and burdens us, God gifts and burdens us in different ways where it may, be, uh, may actually address some social structures, but it begins with a, a scriptural grounding and the equality of people, the rightness of relationships. At its core, biblical justice is about right relationships. People living in right relationship with God and then living in right relationship with others. It's about the shalom of God that we looked at last week on Easter, Easter peace, Easter shalom, when the risen Jesus came to the disciples and spoke peace over them, peace be unto you, and then he sent them into the world as God had sent him to be people who would be people of shalom. Now, speaking of shalom, I'm currently reading this book. Uh, It's entitled uh, Becoming a Just Church, Cultivating Communities of God's Shalom. It's written by Adam Gustine. Some of you may remember Adam. He was here a couple years ago and preached on our MLK Sunday, Uh, works for the Evangelical Covenant Church, and has just come out with this book. Surprise! It's uh, published by InterVarsity. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're grateful for uh, the work, seriously, that InterVarsity does uh, to bring uh, some of these uh, topics forward and help us understand. So um, I'm reading Adam's book, and there's just a, a, a little bit that I wanted to read here where he ties this issue of justice into shalom. Adam says a word about my use of the terms. Justice is a slippery word that gets used broadly in a variety of unhelpful ways. Without taking the time to develop a complete biblical theology of justice, let me say that justice refers to the presence of God's shalom. That is God's wholeness, where, as some say, nothing is missing and nothing is broken. 
This comprehensive reality involves every arena of life and is, in my estimation, the notion Jesus is referring to when he said he came to bring abundant life. Abundant, flourishing, thriving life for people and communities as defined by the story of Scripture where what has been broken because of sin is restored, renewed, and reconciled by God in Christ. That is shalom, and the presence of shalom means that justice has taken root in the world. And we press into this theme of justice, we find that the Old Testament is particularly rich with the theme of justice, and it's often paired with the word righteousness, justice and righteousness. In fact, I, at least in 34 places, I did not count them, I read it in a book, honest, uh, in at least 34 places they are used synonymously, righteousness and justice. Like Proverbs 8.20, for example, says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. The parallelism there makes the words being used in the same way. Now, when we hear righteousness, we tend to think in terms of, of, of an inner righteousness, of a, a personal purity or a, our, our own morality. We tend to think to be righteous as, as Christians. We're declared righteous by Christ, but to live a, a life of righteousness means that we are faithfully praying, reading our Bible, and keeping ourselves pure. But when we hear justice, we tend to think of, of setting things right and correcting what is wrong. But those differences actually overlap and help define biblical justice as living in that right relationship with God and letting it impact how we live in relationship with others. It is part of our inner spiritual health in our relationship with God, but it impacts how we relate to others in the world. Now, when we talk about biblical justice, it does include retribution or retributive justice, where people are punished for their wrongdoing. And it does include the idea of paying back, of making amends with those who have been unrightfully hurt or wronged by another. But most often the words in the Old Testament mean a justice that puts things back together, a restorative justice, putting things right. Another good way to answer the question of what is biblical justice is to look at justice really rooted in the nature of God and in the the story of God, we might call it. We start with creation, where the triune God is creating all things good. And as a triune God, meaning God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in his, in his essence is communal in a sense. And so he, he creates community, he creates relationship from the very beginning and says that it's good. And so in this perfect creation, uh, justice and righteousness are all as they should be. There's no need for retribution, there's no need for punishment or putting things back together because it just is in the perfect creation. Then God created human beings. <laughs> to be in relationship with him and to be his representatives on earth, to carry out his plans, uh, uh, abiding by the morals and concepts of justice that God himself abides by. And in this creation, creation, we the scripture says we are made in God's image. Let us create them in our image. We are creating God's image, or as we like to use the Latin word here, imago Dei, the image of God. When we say Imago Dei, we're reminded all humans are made in the image of God. Therefore, all humans have equal value, wherein we reflect God's character. We are, we are capable of doing what God does, of loving, of caring, of extending justice. We can do those things because we are created in the image of God. We have a sense of justice uh, that, that, that is rooted in it. We reflect his character. And, and we're all, where we understand that because of this equality, that all humans deserve to be treated with dignity and with fairness and, yes, with justice. Now, of course, it wasn't long for the humans before there was the fall into sin. And the way we see that through the the lens of justice and righteousness is this, that Adam and Eve and those that followed rejected God's rule in their lives. 
They rejected, they said, kind of said, said um, when they ate the apple, you know, I'm, I'm going to do life my own way, God, thank you. I'll, I'll be in touch when I need a little bit of help, but I'm going to do life my own way. And what happened then is they, they redefined good and evil. They redefined good and evil for themselves in a way that gave them advantages over others. The strong take advantage of the weak then. The powerful make decisions to undervalue and oppress others for their own benefit. Different values are assigned to different peoples based on race and religion. Some become more privileged than others. And then through history, misguided systems of justice get set up to favor some over others. In and through all of this, God's justice is ignored. The results of sin are a broken relationship with God and broken relationships with others. And that becomes injustice. To deal with this, God forms a, a people then, a, 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 the people of Israel, and he, he begins with Abraham. These people loved by God are given the law, uh, the law of God, and given a system of worship that's intended to, to lead the people to live then into the justice and righteousness God created, living in a state of, of, of good, of moral good, and treating those around them with decency and fairness, recognizing that all people are made in the image of God. And... Um, and this is where part of that law comes to those words from Leviticus of love your neighbor as yourself. Did anybody watch the 1950s version of Ten Commandments last week during Holy Week? The colorized, I'm the only one. How many have seen that? How many have seen the 1950s Charlton Heston colorized? I mean, it's, it's great. I, I love how the acting was in the 50s. People actually did things like this, like, you know, like when they were, when they were feeling bad, they're like, oh, yeah, and uh, it's great. But, um, uh, but it really does tell the story uh, of, of the Israelites in, in Egypt and the oppression that they suffered there and tells the story of the Exodus. And uh, actually, the visual effects for the 50s aren't bad. So anyway, some good things came out of the 50s. Let's just say that. Okay, anyway. Um, but it tells the story of the children of Israel experiencing horrible injustice and oppression under the Egyptians. And God steps in to show them restorative justice by getting them out of the promised land. The Passover and the Exodus are their way out and to the promised land. They are restored to the land that God had given them. But as they go, they are also commanded to show that kind of justice to others. Much in the the law that comes through and the instructions given to them as they head back to the promised land are about how they would treat others. And of course, the Israels do not have a perfect record here. They go on to oppress others even after being oppressed themselves, ignoring the justice and right living to which they have been called. But all of the Old Testament from creation to Abraham, through the Exodus and on through the prophets, looks ahead to who? Who is the center? Jesus. Jesus comes then into the story of God as the only human who is perfectly righteous and just. He comes to take away our sin and forgive us, which we all now know is called the what? The atonement, right? Where we become at one with God, we come back into relationship, in a restored relationship with God. We are declared righteous. We are not righteous, but in and through the atonement, God declares us righteous in Jesus. Not based on what we've done, but based on what he has done. And then having been given this gift of right standing with God, this new life, this hope for shalom, we are commissioned to go into the world and give this gift to others. 
During Lent, our theme was the cross, what happened on the cross. The cross becomes an invisible symbol of Christ's sacrifice for us, but it can also be a perfect, um, a, a, a powerful symbol and reminder of right relationships. That the vertical of the cross reminds us of our relationship with God and that God has done everything in Jesus that we might have a restored relationship with God, that we can be saved and we can come to faith in Jesus Christ and be made one with God and, and be renewed from within. But the cross piece reminds us that then we have this relationship with others where we live in righteousness and in peace. They are tied together. Some of you may know the name Tim Keller, who is an author and a pastor. We uh, read one of his books a few years back during Lent called The Prodigal God. Remember that? Who wasn't here when we had this enormous uh, dining room table up here to sort of symbolize that God inviting us to his table? And Tim Keller wrote that book, and so we got to know him back then. But in, a, in, a, in, a, in an article in Relevant Magazine titled, very clever title, uh, What is Biblical Justice, <clears throat> uh, which is my title, uh, but he, he says this. When people ask me, how do you want to be introduced? I usually say, your high holy reverend, Pastor Scott Gillen, but no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, no. (laughs) When people ask me, how do you want to be introduced? I usually propose that they say, this is Tim Keller, minister at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He goes on to say, of course, I'm many other things, but that is the main thing I spend my time doing in public life. He then points out just how often God is introduced in Scripture as a defender of vulnerable people groups. Keller goes on to say this, Realize then how significant it is that the biblical writers introduce God as, quote, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's how God is described in Psalm 68, 4 and 5, and other places in Scripture. And Keller says this is one of the main things he does in the world. <laughs> he identifies with the powerless He takes up their cause. This takes us to another feature of God's nature as revealed in Scripture and in the story of God, where he takes up the cause of what Keller calls the the quartet of the vulnerable. We hear these four in many places woven through the Scriptures, the widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. These were the groups that had no social power in that day. They were often living at subsistence levels. There were no government programs to care for them. And God identifies with these vulnerable and takes up their cause and says, I am the God who cares for these people. So that's part of the nature of God. But Keller goes on to say that there's much more to biblical justice than a concern for the poor. And he takes us to the theme we have already identified of right relationships. And he goes on and says, day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. Right relationships. Liz Verhage is a a covenant pastor. Um, She serves on the staff of Quest Church, which is a covenant church in Seattle, a very dynamic multicultural church for the multicultural staff. Uh, And uh, Liz is uh, also the president of our our ministerium, which is kind of a creepy-sounding word, but it's just our minister's association for all the covenant pastors, okay? So she's our our president. Uh, uh, Very bright, humble woman. And she spoke at our midwinter conference in January, back in uh, in Denver, back in January. And her theme as she spoke was recentering justice, recentering justice, meaning putting justice back in its proper place where it is directly linked to our personal spiritual life and health. Not an extra, not an add-on, but really linked to who we are in our personal spiritual life. I watched her talk again uh, this past week online, and I can give you the link if you want to see it. Uh, but she said this. She said, biblical justice ministry, biblical justice ministry and spiritual health function together and depend on one another. 
Our spiritual health, our right relationship with God is necessary for doing justice. And she points out how they work together. If we have a rich prayer life where we are connecting with God and time in the word and getting nearer to God's heart, we will begin to see the injustices of others better. And sometimes by being involved in some kind of a ministry that extends justice, the doing and the serving, we will see the Holy Spirit come alive in fresh new ways. That's why Pastor Diane and I have always stressed that mission experiences, mission trips and mission projects are not just good deeds to make us feel good or be grateful for what we have. Seems to be what we do sometimes. But that mission experiences like that, of going out and and, and being in cross-cultural situations that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable, they are crucial for discipleship. Discipleship is not 12 easy steps in a, in a book or something that you read, but discipleship happens in all kinds of ways. And discipleship happens when we are confronting things that are new to us. We learn more about ourselves, and we learn more about the heart of God, and we learn more about his calling on our life. Liz pointed out in her talk that our spiritual health and justice action ministries are actually connected in some of our, our what we call our favorite uh, justice verses. Here, here, here's a plaque that we have on the wall in the, in the office, in Kayla's office, that is sort of a summary of, of, um, of Micah 6.8. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. The whole verse says this in Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can you see it there? Act, actions of justice, of, of making some wrongs right, extending mercy and compassion to others, but all from a life that is walking closely with God, knowing self and learning humility. Walk humbly with God. They're connected there. Another favorite justice verse was a favorite of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and also part of a favorite, some of you have been around the covenant for a while, a chick song from about 15 to 20 years ago. Amos 5.24, let justice roll down, roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Dr. King wove that into his talks and we sang that uh, uh, for years as, as, as covenant youth. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. What we don't always quote though is what's right before that and we don't put it in songs. Verses 21 through 20, 23 say this. God says to the prophet Amos, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Not going to find that on a plaque at Hobby Lobby. (laughs) But then the very next verse is, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Amos is confronting the insincere worship of his day, of people just going through the motions of religion and not really meaning it. There's a lack of spiritual life, a lack of spiritual health. In a sense, he's saying, prove it this way. Let justice roll down. Let your, let your inner life be changed so that justice rolls down and righteousness comes to people in need. Or you might have noticed that this morning's reading from James began not at the beginning of chapter 2, but the very last verse of chapter 1 which says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Can you hear it there? Justice, caring for widows and orphans, the inner spiritual health, keep oneself from being stained or polluted by the world. They're linked together. As Lid shared the verses, God took me to the story of Zacchaeus. It happens there too. You know the story of Zacchaeus, the short guy. Short guy in Jericho up the sycamore tree. Yeah, one of my favorite pictures in the Holy Land is this sycamore tree in, uh, in Jericho. 
The story is that he's curious to see Jesus. He's a tax collector. He's been cheating his, his own Jewish people. And, and yet Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. And he goes to his house. And Zacchaeus' life is turned around. The evidence of it comes towards the end of Luke chapter 19 where Zacchaeus says, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. What is that? That's restoration, right? That's restitution. That's justice. He's making things right for the people that he has harmed. And right after that, it says this, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Spiritual life and health and inner shame has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Tied together. We often say that around here, that God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. And we see both in the Zacchaeus story. So Naperville Covenant Church, this isn't my final sermon yet, but I'm gearing up. (laughs) And part of my passion as I get ready to hand off this ministry, uh, there's many things, and I'll be sharing them in the weeks, next few weeks. My deepest passion is for our life in Christ to, to be vibrant and real. For us to truly be learning uh, from the word, but learning to listen to God and to trust God. My deepest passion is for our spiritual health. But my passion connected to that is that we learn to do that together, that it's not an individual pursuit, that we do it in community, that we learn from each other, we grow together, we, we challenge each other, uh, we look at the word together, and we, we seek to strengthen our relationships, right relationships with each other. The seeds of justice are even right here in that on our relationships with one another. I see justice in this broader view in how we care for one another, the way we recognize needs, the incredible generosity to our benevolence fund from which we've been able to offer some significant help to some of our members in significant need. That's a justice thing. That's righting some wrongs. That's that's looking at the needs of our sisters and brothers who have equal value and dignity and coming to their aid. I think even of the group of people that gathered in the back corner of the fellowship hall this morning with people who are struggling with aging parents and they, they need each other to talk these things through. There's not a simple 12-step process of caring for aging parents. But the answers are when we work on it together and we look at the, really the injustices of, of aging and the, and the system you have to walk through and grind through to get care. But they're helping each other. We are learning in a story from our, from our immigrants I started to list all of them, and I realized I, I would leave somebody out. So I'm just going to refer to our, some of our most recent immigrants. When Flory Buki helped his mom, Marie, come from Congo years ago. And then a little bit later, when Aimee and Grace won the visa lottery and were able to immigrate from Congo to our church. And of course, in this last year, the bittersweet story of our friends Martin and Luisa Bonilla from Nicaragua, seeking asylum but having to go back before it would be granted. We are learning from these immigrant stories and the other stories that are here in our room as well. We as a church are addressing intentionally in our commitment to diversity, uh, multi-ethnicity, and racial justice. We are trying to understand what our role is in a, a dominant white church, but a church that God is blessing with an increasing diversity. What can we learn? What can we learn about racial justice and racism? How can we address the ugliness and blatant injustice of racism and be patient as we listen to and learn from each other? Even in some of the ministries that we're involved in and uh, and pursuing, like with Scott School, here a school in one of the most affluent districts in Illinois, and yet there's many children there 
who are at risk and, 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 they, and they, they score much lower than the other children and not because they are not intellectually able to, but because of circumstances in their life. So we as a church are committed to helping bridge some of those academic gaps that happen. And so in Naperville Covenant, keep talking, keep learning. Let's not stop pursuing God's heart and pursuing God's Christ priorities together. And let us continue to be learning around biblical justice and keeping our heart close to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love this church so deeply. Thank you for the life that you have given to this church over the last 43 plus years. Thank you to those who have been committed to its ministry for many years and those who are just becoming part of the church family even now. Being drawn to something, to a a community, a place where you are honored and loved and where our spiritual life can be informed and strengthened and grown. But help us, Lord, to see that the ways that we relate to each other and that we're all there is an issue of justice, not a scary justice, not a justice that says we're saved by works, but a justice that comes from deep in your heart, holy God. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. May we be faithful to you in the days ahead. We pray in your name. Amen.